Hello Apaches, and thank you so much for listening in to the 24th episode of Season 2 of the Keepin' It Arcadia podcast, brought to you by the students in Arcadia High School's Digital Communications Internship, or DCI for short. My name is Jeffrey Lee, and I'm the host. Today, let's begin with an interview with my absolutely brilliant friend Aditi and her Math Circles tutoring program, as well as how you can get the help you need to clutch that A in math class. Hello, hello. My name is Jeffrey, and I am your local in need of math tutoring guy. And it seems like I've come to the right place. I'm joined by Aditi. So Aditi, I've heard of the incredible work you've been doing in not one, not two, but almost every school in our district with your math circles program. So important questions first. Why did you choose circles as the name instead of something like triangles? What? I don't know. We need her to answer that. Okay, so how does your program work? How do you reach out to almost every school in our district? Uh, so it started off as like a branch of the UCLA math circle. I was able to find other students who wanted to help me teach competition math to uh, elementary and middle school students in Arcadia. So um, every day, like, well, once a week, one hour after school, um, there will be a math circle at one of the schools. Uh, that includes Ballenstocker, Camino Grove, Holly Avenue, uh, Highland Oaks, First Avenue, and Dana. Um, and we have a different person going to each school and just teaching competition math there once a week. What about Foothills? Yeah, we haven't gotten to every school yet, but we're working on it. <laughs> okay, so who usually goes and teaches at those um, schools? Is it students just like you and me? Or? Yeah, it's students just like you and me. Um, a lot of us are on like math team. Um, it's people who've shown interest in teaching competition math to like younger students. And how can I help out? Um, you can definitely come and like teach if you want to. Um, transportation has always been kind of an issue because you have to be able to get there right after school. But if you're interested in teaching, you can definitely like choose a school and start going there. Do you have like a schedule or like a website I can refer to to find out like when your tutoring sessions are? Uh, yeah, we usually have them like on the same day at each school. Uh, but we are working on coming out with a website. Um, on the school website soon. Okay, so what inspired you to create such a program? Um, I think it's just that in Arcadia, uh, we don't really have a program where students can go teach things outside of like the school curriculum. Like we have peer tutoring and like things for homework help, but if students want to learn math outside of their school curriculum, like if they want to practice AMC problems, there's no like free way to do that. So I think this gives uh, younger students like a good venue to to like at least see what competition math is like before high school. And that being said, what uses do we have for competitive math in the real world? Um, I think competition math gives you like a lot of good problem solving skills. Um, even if you might not ever be asked a specific competition math problem at your job interview, the skills that you're using to solve them, such as like critical thinking and uh, looking for patterns, those are really helpful skills that will definitely help you in the real world. Okay, so obviously math is not my forte, so I'm always trying to find new reasons to like it. Do you enjoy math, and why? Uh, yeah, I really do enjoy math. Um, I think I just really enjoy like solving problems and learning new ways to do things, and math is like a great way to learn that. All right, thank you so much. Next, we have aspiring history professor, Lawrence Sung and his history lesson on Hawaii. On the subject of spring break, we all think of Hawaii as a tropical paradise, with its pristine beaches, crashing waves, and of course, those stereotypical luau dances. 
However, the way it came to be, well, doesn't really fit its present image. In fact, it's a lot darker than it should ever be. Hello Apaches, I'm your podcast discussion anchor Lauren Sung, and today I'll be revealing the dark past of one of the most beautiful states of America, which ironically came at the hands of America. Let's get started. Around 300 CE, the first inhabitants made the long voyage from Polynesia, a large group of islands near Australia, to settle in the then-uninhabited Hawaiian Islands. Their culture and style of rule were mostly based off of their homeland culture. Different settlements were set up across all of the islands. Eventually, there came to be different chiefs ruling each island in the form of a monarchy after years of fighting amongst chiefs within the islands themselves. Daily life throughout the villages in each territory was centered around their polytheistic religion, which was so specific to the point where even the way a person ate was regulated by certain beliefs. All in all, it was pretty similar to the lifestyle of, well, medieval Europe, surprisingly. An absolute monarchy in charge of all, strict adherence to religion, and distribution of land to nobles and other worthy people. However, this all changed when the explorer James Cook made contact with the natives in 1778. Sadly, in a series of misunderstandings and conflicts, he was killed by the Hawaiians and his landing force had to flee from the islands. To be honest, he did kind of deserve it, since he tried to blackmail the natives into submission by kidnapping their chief, so don't feel too bad. Cook's exploration of the Pacific opened it up to the Western world, and the Hawaiian Islands, known to the West as the Sandwich Islands, became a magnet for tons of European visitors. With the influx of foreigners came foreign elements, in the form of diseases. Like its Native American counterpart, the native population of Hawaii was drastically reduced and its culture started to disappear. All seemed lost for the indigenous people until King Kamehameha I. This particular chief turned king had previously ruled over the island of Hawaii, aka the Big Island. Yet, with the help of Western knowledge, tech, and friends, he did what no other chief could do in all of Hawaii's history up to that point. Unite the archipelago under one rule. Thus, he established the Kingdom of Hawaii, formed by the ideals of Europe. For almost a century, his descendants turned Hawaii from a series of tribal villages into a respectable nation, capable of interacting with the great powers of the time. Once again, however, and this is the part I want all of you to listen to, the West screwed over the Hawaiians big time. In 1885, 3,000 residents, including an armed militia and a cabinet minister of King Kalakaua, the king of Hawaii at the time, essentially forced the monarch to sign what was known as the Bayonet Constitution, effectively stripping him of all powers and making him a figurehead. Native Hawaiians and other Asian residents of the kingdom had their voting rights ripped from their hands, which placed all power in the hands of white landowners. Sound familiar? Oh wait, that was the pre-Civil War United States. Hmm. Unfortunately, it only went downhill from there. As in 1893, Queen Liliu Kalani of Hawaii tried to shake off the yoke of the Western powers by proclaiming a new constitution for her country, giving the monarchy more power over the landowner-dominated legislature. With a considerable American presence on the island and a 
conquering other lands craze happening in the U.S., one could say that she got an A for effort. That proclamation of hers saw U.S. Marines and American big business storm Honolulu, the capital of the Kingdom of Hawaii, and destroy what was left of Hawaiian sovereignty. Eventually, Hawaii was annexed by the U.S. under President McKinley, a fan of the craze, and the rest is interwoven with American history. As of today, most people on the island, including descendants of natives, don't mind rule by the U.S. However, there are still some Hawaiian nationalists who seek autonomy or independence from America. And yes, our government did apologize for the overthrow of the kingdom in 1993. However, it is important to note that this still does not rectify the injustice of imperialism that has taken away much from the culture and people of Hawaii, which was all in the name of securing looser business regulations as an American territory. If there's anything that you take away from this right now, it should be that Hawaii should not be taken for granted, and that all people, no matter what their culture or status, should be respected and not taken advantage of. And last but not least, let's hop on over to my friends Alicia Wang and Sage Sabarwal on what Gatsby Day is and their thoughts on it. Hello, it's Jeffrey, and I'm your local old sport. My friends and I were assigned an assignment in AP English class where we planned a party for Gatsby Day. So I'm here with two great Gatsby group members of mine, Alicia Wang and Sage Zabarwal. So my first question for you is, what is Great Gatsby about? So basically, The Great Gatsby by um, Fitzgerald talks about the American dream and how people strive to reach their own version of the American dream. And he also talks about like the pitfalls of the dream and how in real life, not everything goes as planned and... Uh, we won't all like always achieve our dreams. Right. So... The Great Gatsby, the book, takes place in the 1920s. So what are some things characteristic of the 1920s that are often seen on Gatsby Day? So on Great Gatsby Day at Arcadia High, you might see a lot of people wearing fancy flapper dresses mm -hmm. or in suits. And this was one aspect of the 1920s yeah. that people really like to dress fancy. <laughs> yeah, and especially since it's about the main character, Jay Gatsby, and he throws really extravagant parties. Um, everyone is expected to show up in sort of formal wear. They're all kind of black tie events, basically. Um, and you can also see, like, the food surrounding the party. Um, we all make food based around the Great Gatsby itself and what they used to eat back in that time. So how did you guys, or we, I should say, prepare for Gatsby Day? Well, um, our group was called the Old Sports. Yep. And, and basically, it's something that Gatsby, one of the characters in the books, says a lot. So um, we had a lot of different parts to put together. We had to prepare food. Yeah, and then we had to write a narrative, um, sort of with Fitzgerald's writing style, as if he were alive today. So we incorporated a lot of modern elements into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Fitzgerald's writing style is very elegant, I guess. Yeah, it's very descriptive, yeah, yeah. and yeah. it has a mm -hmm. lot of... It's beautiful. It is, yeah. <laughs> Did you guys come up with some cool decorations as well? We mostly use store-bought decorations, but yeah, they were cool indeed. Okay. <laughs> so what did you guys do during Gatsby Day? So we decorated our room um, sort of in the fashion that Jay Gatsby's parties would be decorated in, and we had a cocktail stand in one corner, sort of like our own bar, um, to represent like the bootlegging that went on during that time. It was called the Candy Shop. 
Uh, <laughs> so you guys also had some food. You guys. Uh, yeah. You guys, so yeah. the day before, um, Gatsby Day was on Friday. So the Thursday night was pretty hectic. Mm. Um, right after school, uh, we went out and bought a bunch of food. Yeah, ingredients, and then we all gathered. We all at met up at my house, house, and we cooked for how long did we cook for? We cooked from six till nine thirty. Yeah. So basically, we made roasted ham. And tea we made, sandwiches. Yeah, we made tea sandwiches. And we also made Caesar salad. Yeah. And we bought chocolate cake. Yeah. So, and the, all of these foods were things that were eaten. Yeah, on Gatsby Day. And all of them were sort of symbolic in a sense um, and represented like something from that time period. So, um, for example, we had cheese and crackers and that represented the food that um, the U.S. the rations that the U.S. Army was given at the time, and it's it was also a reference to how Nick, the narrator of the book, and Jay Gatsby, sort of the main character of the book, um, they served in their time, so it was sort of an allusion to that, and yeah, that that was just one example, and we had a lot like that. That sounds awesome. I wish I was there. Hmm. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, and, <laughs> Wait, what? what? And we also had to prepare entertainment. So Jeffrey over here. He prepared a lot of really cool magic tricks, and when we uh, in class, he performed them to Miss Zaidi and everyone else. And yeah, you want to talk oh, about you. some of your tricks? Um, <laughs> I'm good. A magician never tells the secrets. All right. So, what was your favorite part about reading the book? I think my favorite part personally about reading the book was how we had class discussions surrounding it because it allowed me to interpret the book in a different sense like rather than just reading it myself I got to hear what others thought about it and sort of dive deeper into the illusions like the biblical illusions surrounding the book and the different techniques that Fitzgerald used to really portray the characters and the scenery and the whole stigma like surrounding the 1920s okay you? Um, my favorite part was reading Fitzgerald's language, like talked about earlier. So basically, Fitzgerald's language is super descriptive. And he, like, whereas uh, when you read other books, they might, like, the way the author writes things may be very blunt and, like, straightforward. But with Fitzgerald, it's very flowy. And, for example, when, when a character talks, um, Fitzgerald uses, like, very descriptive words. Mm-hmm. Like, to portray their emotion instead of just saying it outright. Yeah, Got it. really yeah. colorful, abstract language that you sort of have to dive deeper into, but it's a joy. To Got it. So, last question. What is the coolest thing you saw during Gassy Day? Um, I think the coolest thing that I saw was personally, like, how everyone's party sort of came together with all the elements, like, food and clothing, um, the way uh, people presented their project overall and then their decorations and everything and how it all came together and how each group was different but we all had the same great Gatsby vibe of the 1920s. Thank you guys so much for your time. <laughs> and that will conclude this episode. This has been Jeffrey with Arcadia High School's DCI and the podcast team hopes you've enjoyed our 24th episode of the school year. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe for more weekly content please visit the list of all our episodes on our new AUSD DCI website. The link is dciausd.weebly.com. Thank you, and we will see you next week. This is Keeping It Arcadia, signing off.